Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello all and welcome to another episode of At The Margin. Today I'm joined by Fergal O'Connor, Finance Lecturer at University College Cork. Fergal is an expert in gold and other precious metals. We go through everything you want to know about gold. We discuss the historical reasons why gold is valuable and how this has translated into the modern world. We go through the various economic drivers and we also touch on other related commodities such as Bitcoin. Fergal really knows his stuff and is very easy to listen to, so I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. He gives us some insight into the various market trends and investment strategies, and I make a few jokes throughout that we're not giving any investment advice, but maybe I should make that clear. Um, We're not giving any investment advice. Uh, We accept no liability for any losses incurred if you decide to follow any investment strategy on full of this podcast. We will, however, accept any contributions if you make any money following this podcast. Speaking of contributions, uh, the Patreon page is at patreon.com forward slash at the margin. That's at the margin, all one word, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. If you like what you hear and would like to throw a few bob in the tip jar, then take a look at the Patreon. There's some bonus content, hot takes, as the young kids say, and a bit of career chat over there as well. Some new content coming soon. Okay, I hope you enjoy this chat with Fergal. Okay, well, I suppose just to start off... um if we're thinking about gold, a lot of people will wonder where the value of gold came from in the first place because it seems to be just this piece of metal that seems to be a lot prettier than the other metals. Um, how, is it a thing, how has it become so valuable and how has it become this benchmark of, of, of value, of store of value that, that we have today? Yeah, so I mean, part of gold's um, allure in terms of its long-term value to people is just how, like, how rare it is relative to kind of relative to everything else. Um, so even in terms of the precious metals, um, if you think about gold and silver, there's about seven or eight times as much silver mined in history as there is gold. So silver is way more um, common than gold. And um, especially if you go back far enough in history, gold was incredibly rare. So the first kind of the first example we have of gold jewelry is from about six and a half thousand years ago. But that would have been gold that was just kind of collected as it floated down a river. It wasn't mined gold. Um so in, in all of history, you've got kind of 200,000 tonnes of gold. Um, and it's probably surprising if you think about it in terms of size. It's, a, it's about a 21-metre cube. That's all the gold we've we've ever found in history. Um, mm. And gold is unusual then in the sense that it doesn't, it doesn't corrode in any way. So 
if you find some gold coins from a Roman period in a ditch tomorrow when you're out digging in your garden and you run them under a tap, those gold coins are going to be shiny straight away, whereas every other metal will obviously have corroded a little bit. There'll be a little bit of rust or whatever, even even silver will corrode a little bit. So it's just, it's incredibly pure, you know, it's incredibly non-reactive. Um, nice. It's also incredibly ductile and easy to work with. So early, like really early gold work, if you go back kind of, again, kind of three, four thousand, five thousand years ago, they just sort of been hammering it onto other gold and it just kind of bonds onto it because it's so soft. Um, it's got nice uses then in modern 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 times it has nice uses in terms of um some electronics you get a little bit of gold in electronics yeah. um because it's quite a good conductor and it, it's actually it's one of the biggest telescopes that's been built recently um that's actually the mirror the mirror in the telescope is lined with gold because it's such a good reflector nice. so gold has lots of kind of unusual um physical characteristics in terms of its chemistry but its its value, its long term value, is is based on how how rare it is relative to kind of other precious metals. Right. Okay. And how how how, how long lasting it is. Okay. So so there was always a historical value in that it was rare and that you could use it, and then as well as just being pretty. Um. But so how did that translate then into maybe the, the value we place on it now in terms of the way it was used maybe to, to back currencies and, and the way we have it now is maybe an investment. How, wh- wh- where, did it, where did it go from maybe that historical concept to maybe the more modern uh, value that we place on it? Yeah, so it, it wasn't money until about um, about 500 BC. So the first gold coins that we found um, come from Lydia in, in about 500 BC and they would have a king's head stamped on them and all that. Before that, they were just pretty, like you said, and that's part of the part of the value of gold is that it is pretty, right? That people want yeah. it, and and it, that means it has a kind of a demand and use that other commodities don't. In terms of you're prepared to keep it around, like nobody invests in a barrel of oil uh, and puts it in their basement for 50 years. Or you know, uh, it, it, gold is different because people want to keep it for long periods of time and look at it. They, you know, buy a piece of jewelry and keep it for a long period. Um, how it became money is, I suppose, a little bit of accident more than anything else. So silver was really what people used as as money, gold is too valuable to to carry around in your pocket. If you were kind of an ordinary peasant in in uh, in England or Ireland or somewhere like that, 500 years ago, you wouldn't have been carrying around gold because you couldn't have bought any. Like it was too valuable as a as a coin. It'd be worth too much to buy anything that you'd be buying. So you would have been using silver and other and other metals. We, we ended up on a gold standard because of um, because of Isaac Newton of all people. Um, when he was the the director of the the Royal Mint in the UK, he set the price the, the ratio I suppose of, of the price of gold to silver um, in such a way that the price in Britain was slightly higher for gold than it was in Europe. And then you know you get your speculators and arbitrageurs, and they were um, in Europe they were moving they would move their gold from mainland Europe and they'd exchange it. Um, for silver and the gold flowed into Britain. Britain ended up with a a huge amount of gold relative to other countries. Britain goes on the gold standard and then, you know, the world ends up on the gold standard, but not, not, not for as long a period as people think you get the the classical gold standard before world war one. Um, wasn't, it didn't last for hundreds of years. It was quite, you know, for the world, it was quite a short period. And once world war one comes along, you know, people slid on and off gold, um, here and there but it's not really as as the gold standard isn't as long-term and stable an idea for the world as maybe it kind of feels like when you when you take when you read about it yeah and just i suppose for the non-economist gold standard is where we had the currency was backed by a reserve of gold and then we moved off that and it was like what's known as fiat money (laughs) 
Yeah, and it, and it was literally exchangeable for gold. So you could take your one pound note and you could go into the Bank of England and they would give you um, whatever that was worth in in gold up yeah. until a certain period. So it was literally, you know, you could exchange it. And people did use gold coins um, as currency around uh, at, at those times as well. But it would have been, you know, for big purchases. You know, it would have been uh, for large purchases. You wouldn't have been using gold coins for yeah. for your for your day to day activities, I suppose. Yeah. One one thing that I always often wondered. Um, is that you know like the use of gold as a currency or or sorry the use of of any currency is that it's it's a store of value and you can use it as a means of trade and it's the value is based on you know the confidence that 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 you can exchange it and somebody will, will accept it and if it's maybe you know paper money you know it's just a piece of paper but it's it's a promise backed by the government that this will be honored and i have a lot of confidence that the well, most of the time that the government will, will honor that promise whereas <laughs> But with gold, that promise seems to be based on the confidence that the other person believes it has value. There isn't maybe the centralized form of value. So are we sort of relying on the fact that everybody else believes that it has value for it to have value? Is there like a, an emperor's new clothes element to it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and this is something I've had a few debates with people about in relation to Bitcoin as well and gold and things like that. Because you, you made the point there that you know modern money is, is fiat money. We believe it's money and that's what gives it its value. But... and People think of gold then as being a hard currency because I can go into the bank and I can exchange my my money for gold, or I could back in like you know 1900 in London. Mm-hmm. But gold only has value because people believe it has value, right? Mm-hmm. We know it has a certain amount of value because people like jewellery and people like having it. And like I said, there's a little bit that goes into electronics and things like that. But again, to me, all all currencies end up being fiat in the end. They only work as long as you believe in them. Um, like fiat currency systems usually fail in the long run, uh, but so do gold currency systems. So um, they're all based on belief and faith in in, in the currency, uh, in whatever's there. And the, the prob- gold brings its own problems as a currency because you don't have control over how much of it there is. So you can't reduce the supply of it that easily. You know, you can't, and you certainly can't increase the supply of it that easily because there's yeah. only so much that you can dig out of the ground. So its benefit as a hard currency is also kind of its problem then when you when you get a lot of economic growth and things like that. If you don't if you're on a gold standard, you have to um keep revaluing what your what your what your gold is worth in order to, to stop getting kind of deflation, which is, you know, the problems that the the world faced around the nineteen thirties. And so what, what what is the modern role for gold, I suppose, in an investment portfolio? Why would wh- why does somebody include gold in their investment as opposed to maybe say Apple shares or or um you know shares in Amazon where you might be expecting a return on your on your on your investment as opposed to maybe gold where it's gold is gold basically, you know, it just sits there. Yeah, I mean gold is a gold is a is a cost if you think of it in one way, because if you if you buy a bar of gold um, and you put it in a vault in London, you're going to have to pay that vault to, to mine the gold, you have to insure the gold. So gold actually costs a certain amount of money. Um, if you own physical gold, yeah. it costs you a certain amount of money to actually own it. So it's it's almost the complete opposite of owning a share where you where you do get an interest payment. Now, central banks, um, there, is a, there is a market where you can lend gold, um, where you can lend, where, but it, it's only really, only really central banks lend gold. They lend it to gold miners and to jewelers and people like that. So there are ways of earning interest on gold, but it's really not for um, the common investor, if you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, why why would they ever want, why would anyone want to own gold? I suppose that's what interests me um, in terms of doing research about the gold market. It is one of the confusing things, especially when I started doing research on it, why would anyone want to buy 
an inert metal um, that isn't really, you know, it isn't really that useful on a grand scale. It's too expensive um, to use in, in, in industrial kind of industrial applications on any any large scale. Um, even in dentistry, they don't use gold much anymore because it's it's too expensive and they have cheaper alloys they can use instead for making their, their gold teeth. So mm-hmm. the reason you would buy gold, is, I suppose it's really simple in one way, because gold is economically inert, because the value of gold isn't really based on how well a business is doing or how much economic growth there is or anything like that. It's kind of economic inertia makes it a really good diversifier in your portfolio. So if you... Um, if you look at how gold reacts to stock market movements and things like that, it tends not to react that strongly. So particularly when you get really bad days on the stock market, gold doesn't tend to have as bad a day. And then it tends to pick up in value a lot quicker than the stock market. So if you mix a little bit of it into your portfolio, if you if you buy some gold, so not, I don't mean kind of 50% of your investment yeah. capital going into gold, but if you put, you know, somewhere between 2 and 10%, there's no kind of, there's no solid answer on how much you should put in your portfolio. But if you put a small amount of gold in your portfolio, it does have a benefit where it kind of dampens down any volatility, any kind of big swings up and down in the value of your portfolio. And um, over the long run, even though it sometimes will give you lower returns, sometimes it'll give you higher returns, over the long run, excuse me, what you tend to get is um, higher risk-adjusted returns. So the, the return you're getting per unit of risk you take in your in your investment is higher. So, you know, kind of classical finance theory, modern finance theory says that you should try and maximize your return per unit of risk. And yeah. that's what putting gold into your portfolio does. So it's not so much to drive, you know, to, there's, um, you know, you always have some gold in your portfolio because gold is a diversifier. There's times where you might want to speculate in gold because you think the price will, you know, the price will go up. Um, but you should always have some there. Um, there's kind of the always argument, and it's just a diversification argument. So if you want to diversify your portfolio, you should own a bit of everything. And gold is a is a it's actually a huge um, it's a huge investment market when you start looking at the numbers on it. Right, and the layperson might think then, well, why wouldn't you just not? So if you, for example, you're thinking, um, okay, I have um, I have a certain amount of money I want to invest, and I put an X amount in this share, X amount in that share, but I'll save aside. Um, this amount for investing in gold is gold gold is obviously better than just leaving it in cash it, it gives you more diversification than, than than in cash yeah because so so if you look at how gold kind of acted during um the global financial crisis when when stock markets did very poorly and then during the kind of 2011 crisis in europe gold went up and up and up and up so what what tends to happen is in in a time of crisis um people will be selling off the riskier assets they own so They'll sell off maybe their shares and things like that, things that are, are more more sensitive to the, the kind of general economy. And they tend to put their money then into safe havens, so places where the money is kind of, there's a low return, but it's a very secure investment. So they'll invest in things like um, government treasury bills and things like that. So they'll lend their money to the government. They'll get a really low or at the moment even a negative interest rate, but they well, their money's safe, right? It's not going to, the company's not going to go bankrupt. The government will repay the money. And gold is one of the places that that, that money tends to flow. Um, so it goes into kind of the US treasury market. It goes into people with money in the Swiss franc. They put it into the Japanese yen. So it's kind of really safe, um, really safe economies. They tend to put their money mm-hmm. there when, you know, when markets are doing badly. So it, it's that kind of, it's that low or negative correlation that you're looking for in your portfolio. Um, and there will be times when you have gold in your portfolio and it loses you money, right? Gold goes down in value. Um, 
but I, I can't remember the name of the famous hedge funder who has the quote, but he, he says, if you like everything in your portfolio, then you're not diversified. Yeah, yeah. Everything's a, you know, everything's a speculation then. You have to have something in there you don't like because you need to be ready for the day that, that you're wrong, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes it, actually, that's great advice. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, and it, it's actually, there's kind of a weird reason. I mean, if, you, if you go reading about this afterwards, you'll find some kind of prominent market commentators in the Wall Street Journal and places like that who've written since, because March was the last time you had a big stock market, um, big stock market turmoil and things like that. And they've pointed out that in the first day or two, um, that the stock market was going down, gold went down too. Right, and they're like, well, gold is obviously a terrible safe haven. You shouldn't put your money there because, um, <laughs> because it went down with the stock market. Yeah. But what tends to happen is for a day or two, um, gold acts as a source of liquidity. So gold isn't gold isn't currency, right? It's not money anymore um, in the way that it maybe it once was. But it's pretty close. Um, and the weird thing that gold did for a long time was if you if you were a market if you were a market trader in London. If you sold your gold, you get paid um, T plus two. So you get paid two days later. The cash gets to your bank account two days later. That's the mm. kind of settlement date for it. But equities were T plus three. So if you had um, if you had a margin call or something where you owed money to your broker because of changes in the price of your stocks, but if you needed cash um, because of a stock market downturn, having gold was, was similar to having cash because if you sold your gold, you'd get the cash before you needed it for to, to pay your equity bill, if you know what I mean. Right. Um, and that meant that for a day or two at the beginning of any crash, gold goes down. But then um, once once those who kind of need to sell gold to get cash have, have been flushed out or whatever, you know, once they've, people have sold their equity, that money yeah. then flows into gold and it tends to go up. So it's kind of a delayed reaction. For a day, it, it, it doesn't go down as much. Um, it might go down a little bit, but if you look at it kind of a week later... Then the price gold has really kind of pr- protected the value of your portfolio or at least okay. know, reduced the fall of the value of your portfolio after so, a week later or a month later. Okay, that's interesting. So if things go bad, would that be the time to buy then? And then when, when the price is slightly depressed and then go... Anyway, that's... Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no investment investment. No, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I mean, no, I'm just if, thinking if of you, that. If you look back through it... <laughs> yeah, if you look back through it, it tends, if, if you were able to buy gold kind of a day after a crash it tends to have kind of dropped a little bit. You might get a little bit of a bargain and then the price yeah. should rise after that. And, that. and that's what happened since March. You know, gold gold broke all-time records um, for the value of gold in dollars um, yeah. uh, about a month ago, a little bit more than a month ago. It broke $2,000 an went down a little bit since. But that's all on the back of... Um, worries about coronavirus right like i'll put a disclaimer at the end don't worry um we won't be on the, on the hook for any uh, any any comments um <laughs> yeah we'll do the little disclaimer <laughs> one thing that that uh as well so people look at uh investment and the, like you hear a lot of common story okay gold is was perhaps you know it goes up in value when when, when times are bad and then people think that maybe there's a bargain to be had if to go for silver or other precious metals. How do they respond? Are they are they a similar safe haven, or or do they behave slightly differently, or or what way what way do they they respond maybe in a, in relation to gold? Yeah, so I mean, silver is is a close kind of um, is the closest. So the, the the four big precious metals are gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. Platinum and palladium are a little bit different because they're they have a big industrial use. So the the fill or the filtration systems or whatever in the pe- in petrol and diesel cars use platinum and palladium and in fact so palladium has been an amazing investment over the last um over the last 10 years because they've used more and more of it in cars so that price has gone through the roof um uh, relative to the other ones but for different reasons so that that's purely kind of 
a little bit like it's like any commodity right if people demand lots more oil then the price of oil goes up so platinum and palladium they're precious kind of chemically if you know what i mean but they're not mm-hmm. precious in the sense of being money and and the reason is it does so if you think of it this way all the gold that's ever been mined um, is actually still available to us as gold. Like some of it's at the bottom of the sea in a, in a ship, but yeah. it's still there. It's still gold. Whereas silver gets used. Uh, you know, silver had a lot of uses in in photography. It gets used in um, photovoltaic cells and things like that. So there, they have kind of a big industrial component, and there's a big demand for um, for silver, platinum, palladium industrially. Whereas gold doesn't have its industrial demand is is quite is quite small. Um, so silver is like gold. Um, mm-hmm. It does react a little bit similarly, but it's almost like gold that's kind of, um, it, it's hyperactive gold. So when gold goes up, silver tends to go up by more. Uh, when gold goes down, sil- silver tends to go down by more. And probably the reason for that is that gold isn't a central bank metal anymore. So one of the, you know, gold is no longer money. It's no longer mm-hmm. backing your money. And I, um, when I when I teach students that I teach down here in UCC about money, um, I always ask students what they think about money, get them to write it down. And, and always a few will tell me that, that, you know, their money is backed by gold. So there's still this impression people have. Whereas silver is not, central banks don't own silver anymore. Um, and that kind of, I think that, that lack of that, or there's a difference in confidence in that gold is still a vaguely monetary metal. You know, central banks in the last few years have been increasing the amount of gold they own, um, and the Federal Reserve and the, the Treasury in the U.S. have never really has stopped selling their gold in the 70s. Mm. Um, and have just kept it. So they have an enormous stock of gold. The German government, the, the Italian government, they have large stocks of gold as well. Ireland only has a, a small amount of gold. Um, but they act differently. They're, they, they're, there's, they're kind of, there's differences in the research around whether silver is a safe haven or not. Um, I, I'd say the, the problem with any, like, there's good, there's good theoretical reasons why why gold would be a safe haven, right? So we know it flows into it because, uh, we know it flows into it because it's 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 a form of safety. We know central banks own it, and we can all you know I have that that reason where you can get your money more quickly from the gold market. So I can see why gold is a, is a safe haven. I don't see a strong a theoretical reason why silver would be. Mm-hmm. And silver is quite sensitive then in terms of it, it gets affected by industrial production a l- little bit more. So it wouldn't be as strong a safe haven. Yeah, no, that that came to mind there when you, when you mentioned it, that if it's used in industrial processes and if there's an economic shock, well, it's going to, it's going to, some of that signal is going to be transferred into the price of silver. It seems compared to gold, it's also just a much, a much, much smaller market. It's, I mean, it's so gold every every day in the world, uh, every day in the world, one hundred and forty five billion dollars is 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 transacted in the gold market, right. um, which is which is an enormous, an enormous amount of money yeah. for one, you know, for one shiny metal. Whereas you're, you're talking about a, a, a tiny fraction of that. Um, you're talking about a tiny fraction of that for for silver, and that would make it because more, it's not as valuable, and that would make it more volatile, I'd imagine. Yeah, it, and it, it is it is way more volatile. It, it, putting it into a portfolio, mm. um, it's just just a much more volatile asset, and, and gold itself is actually quite a volatile asset. Um, yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't seem like something that would would you know improve the stability of your portfolio as you look at the price, but it's when you mix it in, it's the it's the low it's the lower negative correlation that kind of um, yeah causes that um so one thing then that people might be interested in is cryptocurrencies and bitcoin and all the other types of of cryptocurrencies uh there's a lot of talk that they're perhaps being used as some sort of safe haven 
Um, so I, I haven't done any work in it, but I've seen uh, I've you know, colleagues and friends who do, who do work on, on cryptocurrencies. And there's obviously there's there's certain similarities between them. I mean, if you think about Bitcoin, you, you have that picture that's always shown for Bitcoin, which is a gold coin, which I always yeah. think is kind of funny um, that they're showing a physical asset for something that, you know, the, the whole value of it is supposed to be that it's 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 not a physical asset. Yeah. Um, and obviously there's a, there's a lot in common there. And Bitcoin has been built, you know, it was built to be a little bit like gold. So there's a limited supply every year in the same way. That, so the amount of gold every year goes up by like about one percent, one and a half percent from from the amount we mine. So it's quite a slow increase. Mm. Um, and there's a similar rate, obviously, for Bitcoin. So there's the Bitcoin has been built to to be kind of digital gold. Um, I'd say that the so the research says that it, it can be a, a safe haven. So it's, it, I saw it described as a weak safe haven. So um, it won't always protect you. Um, and I think the real problem with Bitcoin is so little data so far, right? And it's probably a slightly immature market that it's still it's still developing. Um, the futures market for Bitcoin is, is is quite new. So in terms of bringing in, so one of the problems before there was a futures market was that big regulated investors couldn't buy Bitcoin. Um, yeah. So banking regulations and things like that meant that they weren't able to they weren't allowed to buy Bitcoin, but they were allowed to buy. Bitcoin futures, um, and that's pointed as one of the reasons why the price collapsed back from when it got to twenty right. uh, thousand dollars of Bitcoin. But it still makes it more mature, right? It brings in a, a whole new class of investors into it. Yeah. Um, and it, it could easily be a, be a safe haven, and it's you know it's a massive asset class now. Um, it's still a lot smaller, it's still a lot smaller than gold. Um, yeah. But it's growing, growing all the time. I didn't prices know prices are obviously rising again now. Yeah, I didn't know there was. Um... A futures market in Bitcoin. One thing about futures markets, though, um, they would tend to reduce the volatility in the spot market. Would that be correct, or would it have an effect? And they, they well, they tend to improve price discovery. Yeah. So, they, 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 so in any market, the futures market is use or a lot of the time anyway, depending on which one we're looking at. This was, but for for a lot of them. It tends if there's a spot market and a futures market, the futures markets frequently where the price discovery happens. Um, I suppose some some people in the gold market don't like the futures market, um, and I presume some people in Bitcoin don't like it. I wouldn't know it as well. And the reason is that they're described as paper markets, right? So you can trade gold futures, um, and it never you never have to buy an ounce of gold, right? You never have to physically mm. physically own the gold. Um, and what it, it so it, it it does massively inflate the amount of gold trading that happens because you you know it does not there's nowhere near enough gold in the world to to deal with the amount of gold trading that happens every day. Um, yeah, you know, it's 145. Was it 145 billion a day gets gets transacted in the gold market? There's, there's, you know, that's I think it takes. I think that's three 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 days of trading is the total amount that gets mined every year. So right. like, it's it's money from one to the other if you know what I mean so I'm selling gold to you you're selling it back to me another day um, so there's a lot of churn mm. between different people um, but yeah with, with Bitcoin I think it's yeah it's a, de- it's a developing market it, it, it should it should act a little bit like a safe haven in the long run because it's been built to be a, be a little bit like gold and I think the more I suppose the more regulated it gets and the less the less it's just a form of kind of dark money and the more it's a, a real investment asset yeah. the more safe haven it'll start to get and would would you see it as as acting like gold in a, in a portfolio in the sense that it's uh, because it's so volatile, I, I, it doesn't seem to be a very useful use of you know, means of exchange. So and people, it seems to be purely speculative at the moment. But that's been like around with gold, but gold does have have uses. So 
like yeah. gold is an investment asset but a lot of that investment is actually purchased through jewelry so about 50 percent of all the gold in existence is held um is held as jewelry um so even though it doesn't have as much of a use industrially as um as other metals do it does have a massive use um in terms of jewelers and it, and it has this central bank holding which i think is quite important so one of one of the things that stopped um, that slowed the route in gold prices. So gold prices bottomed at about $250 an ounce, mm. um, somewhere around 2000 And one of the things that, that kind of ended the decline in the gold price um, was central banks agreeing that they would slow their, their, their gold selling, that they'd stop selling gold so quickly, and they agreed to limit how much gold they were going to sell. And that kind of, and, and then since the global financial crisis, and they, they were kind of net sellers all the time a little bit. Mm. Uh, and since the financial crisis, you've seen a lot of countries buying more gold. So, um, China, Russia, and then other smaller countries have, have become big gold buyers and they've been diversifying their foreign exchange holdings by holding gold. So a little bit of it's kind of like, like anti-dollar. They don't want to hold dollars, but they want to have access to dollars and, and gold gives you that. Right. Um, but I think the difference is that there, there are real uses for gold. So it's not the same as Bitcoin. Um, and it'll never be exactly the same because gold does have these real uses. Um, and there is a there's a convenience yield to, to having it, so you can look at it. It's pretty, you know. If I if I buy a gold coin, I can put it on my shelf, um, and it'll shine in the corner for me. Whereas my Bitcoin is only ever going to be a financial asset. Um, yeah. Which which is not, you know, it's it's not a negative. It's just a more specialised thing than, um, like the gold market is, is is quite complicated. In one way, you have people buying it for jewellery. Then if the price gets really high, you have the kind of you know the cash for gold signs that were really common um, when gold prices were, were high the last time around 2011. Every shopping centre you went to, there was a sign somewhere on a shop door saying you know we buy gold. Um, I saw my, and I, I saw my first we buy gold sign um, in a long time a couple of weeks ago. Um, right. The street in Cork um, in Ireland. So you know gold prices are obviously getting high again. People are doing that. So you yeah. know, people buying jewellery then selling it when they want the money back. There's coins and there's, there's industrial production there's there's central banks so there's this kind of diverse group of people buying gold and interested in gold whereas with bitcoin it is speculative you can't use it really as a medium of exchange because the, the price like you said is is, is just too volatile i mean mm. the gold isn't a medium of exchange there's there's no way that you could use it there, there are people who have gold backed credit cards and things like that now you can put money in your in a gold account and then use your credit card and when you spend it it'll convert your gold into local currency and subtract it from your your, your balance and all that but right. it's pretty rare and it's quite an expensive thing to, to do in terms of transaction costs okay so just moving on then um you've done some uh work on just i suppose the drivers the economic drivers behind maybe gold and other precious metals and mm. um, maybe you could tell us a bit about what would be the determinants of the the prices of gold versus maybe other metals I, we might have touched on some of these already yeah no, so the, the biggest driver of gold prices is, is actually the, the real interest rates so you can earn you earn a certain interest rate by let's say investing your money with the with the government and then you subtract the interest off that to see what your your increase in purchasing power is and when real interest rates are high so when giving your money to you know when lending your money to to the government results in big increases in your in your purchasing power gold tends to do badly right so right. it's just you know kind of the essential economic concept of of opportunity cost so the opportunity cost of owning gold is that you don't own you know, another asset that has a yield. So, um, mm. you know, if you can, usually gold gets compared to the yield on a government um, on a government bond, kind of five and ten year government bonds, and there's a there's a big negative relationship with those between those two. So, one of the reasons why gold prices rose so much 
um, around the financial crisis is you had falling um, falling real yields. Um, you know, we had falling interest rates, and you know, so that meant that you were getting less real return on your investment after inflation. And again, now because so many countries have um, negative interest rates under government bonds the cost of holding gold kind of disappears. So previously people would say there's no point owning gold because you know gold just costs you money. But now your alternative is to buy a 10-year government bond that has a has a negative interest rate anyway. Yeah. So the the one of the downsides of owning gold has kind of disappeared. And that's one of the reasons why um gold has done so well you know over the last couple of years you've had falling real yields and the big rises in gold prices this year since March um, were coupled with big falls in real yields in the U.S. and it, it, it the kind of gold has kind of flatlined for the last kind of month or so, around nineteen hundred dollars. And one of the reasons for that is that real yields have stopped falling, right? So that that if you think of it as a trade-off, which will I do? The fall, the more right. real yields fall, the more you're encouraged to go and buy gold, and the more gold prices go up. So there's a really strong relationship there, you know. And you know, you're, the podcast you said reading your tagline for the podcast that you know it's just logic and the logic is is opportunity you know opportunity cost explains an awful lot of what goes on yeah in uh, in in human life and in economics so um one of the big drivers is is real interest rates there's probably you can think about it then in terms of supply and demand um so if you if you were trying to price a share you think about how much money the share would pay you in dividends right and um you can't do that for gold because there's no income so if you were going to think about Gold, you have to think about it kind of in terms of your basic economics 101 um, supply and demand. And you've got to think, well, what will happen to prices long term from where you are? Well, supply grows really slowly. It grows at about 1% a year and the the supply is is kind of falling. So a little bit like Bitcoin, you've got a a, a, a supply is being choked off. Um, and in, I, I was just doing a bit of reading for the podcast um, for this, uh, just brushing up, and I'd forgotten that about 80% of all the gold we know exists on planet Earth has been mined by now. So there's only, you know, the amount that's left to get is quite small, and there haven't been any large gold discoveries for a couple of years. So supply is quite constrained right. in terms of new supply. And then demand is growing because the, the, the fastest growing economies in, in the world, in China and India, places like that, are where gold is demanded. So another big driver of gold since 2000, you know, we had the, the price bottomed out there on $250 and it's been on a, on a kind of a, it's been a good market ever since. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons is China entered the World Trade Organization in 2002 and then there's a whole new set of buyers there um, and Chinese gold demand kind of grows fairly, it grows pretty healthily um, and Indian gold demand as well um, as their economy grows. So the, yeah. the, the sources of demand are growing all the time um the sources of supply are shrinking um and if if everything stays that way you'd imagine long gold prices would continue to to trend upwards right. the only the big risk the big risk of that scenario is that the you know eastern buyers of gold do what we've done in the west and just get bored of it so we don't really buy much gold anymore gold jewelry isn't um you know people are more likely to buy platinum and silver jewelry or it's it's you know it's it's becoming a more important market than gold in the west yeah. um We've kind of gone off gold a little bit. If that happened in China and India, that would be a obviously a big negative. Then that that big source of demand would disappear. Um, so that's kind of where going forward you're looking at it in terms of supply and demand. Supply is definitely going to be small, and if everything stays as it is, and and people in the east still keep buying gold for weddings and for investments and all the rest of it, um, that looks pretty positive for gold in the long run. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. Um... 
when you mentioned there about the the real interest rate, um, it got me thinking. If you so if real interest rates are low, that would usually be in a time where, like now, basically, where, where things are where where economic performance is bad. So, so, so you'd wonder is because they're correlated. Are you able, is it able, are you able to disentangle the two effects? They tend not to be disentangled because it's it's the inflation number is obviously um, static enough that's only measured monthly, right? Mm. And gold prices bobbling around all the time. People are people tend to be comparing. The, on a daily basis then because gold is a financial market and, and um, interest rates are a, are a financial market. They tend to move a lot faster than, than the inflation rate does, right? The goods yeah. markets are a lot lot, lot more sticky. Um, so they tend not to disentangle the two very much. Um, I have been doing a piece of work recently on this supply and demand issue. So trying to divide up gold into its various buckets, jewellery, re, you know, recycling, dentistry, all that sort of stuff. And then trying to work out what the price use it to explain the price and kind of like i said in the kind of a simple economics 101 thing where supply goes up you know uh, price must go down that type of thing mm. and um one of the things we've i've come across is so if you look at jewelry one of the drivers of jewelry is economic growth so jewelry demand is driven by how high the price is if prices are going up people are buying less jewelry because they tend to be quite price sensitive um, but economic growth then is a big positive for 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 jewelry investment and things like that. So you can you can pull out you can tr- one of the things we're trying to do is pull out uh, how much economic growth affects gold prices in the long run. And it, like there is a there is a uh, there's definitely a, a, a positive driver there. The problem is it's it's quite persistent and small, whereas yeah. other things kind of shouted out. There's so much more volatility coming from investment and interest rates and things like that that. In the long run, you can see that it's having a positive impact on gold prices. In the short run, it's hard to pull it out because it's such a noisy price. You know, price goes up and down so much. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and we've talked a lot about maybe the market supply and demand effects. I know you've done research on the um, on maybe the cost, the extraction costs and how that affects the price of gold. Um, I wonder, could you tell us a few the headline f- facts or, or what the message is there? Yeah, so I mean, so the thing for me, gold, gold is, is is unique compared to other, well, not unique, but it's fairly unique relative to other assets. And one of the unique things about it is how much of it there is just sitting in vaults in London and, and places like that. There's, I don't know, is there four or five stories underground under the Bank of England, which is just gold vaults. Right. So one of the things that was argued was that um, gold miners, if, if the prices went too low, gold miners would... Um, would cut their production and that would you know drive the price back up but um that doesn't really make any sense you know one of the things in economics you go on a lot about is the difference between stocks and flows mm. and gold is totally different to let's say copper copper there's a very large flow but there's almost no stock because as soon as you know as soon as people buy copper they put it into buildings and they put it into other stuff so that the, the stock disappears with gold mm. it's different so for copper you'd expect that You'd expect that as prices go, as, as costs go up, then you know the price of extracting copper will go up, because they'll have to be compensated for it, or else they won't supply enough copper, right? So if, mm. if prices don't go up, they'll stop supplying copper. The price will go up then, and it'll all get back into equilibrium. But that doesn't work for gold. It's 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 the other way around. Gold miners tend to react to the price. So when the price goes up, gold miners go after deposits that were previously um, economically unviable. So they were too deep or they weren't, you know, you need, there's a certain amount of gold in the ore. So if there's not enough gold in the ore, it's quite expensive to get it out. And when prices go up, what's happened in the past is gold miners have gone after those more expensive deposits. 
and they've driven up costs. So it's all kind of topsy-turvy and backwards um, for gold yeah. because of this this difference in stock and flow. And even like silver is the same. Silver has a much larger flow relative to stock because it gets used up again. It doesn't it doesn't sit in vaults in the same way that gold does. So it's it's a fairly you know it's a fairly unique asset. Yeah. And it's unique in terms of the long history you have on it. So you can get gold prices back to kind of twelve hundred AD for um for for England and things like that. Yeah. Um, whereas and it's the same thing that's being traded where you know if you look at equities you know they, they weren't the same thing up until a certain time and they're not anywhere near as old uh, and a lot of the companies if you if you go back and you look at kind of equity trading in the 1700s those companies are all gone so you're not analyzing exactly the same thing where you know gold in a certain sense at least has been gold forever if you have the price yeah that stock flow uh, analogy actually something i hadn't thought about before which is actually really interesting mm. um one thing then as well that you've worked on is like something that behavioral economists would be interested in um psychological barriers when it comes to uh different prices and perhaps people treat maybe round numbers a bit differently when they see them than than uh, maybe uneven numbers and that might affect investment behavior yeah and, 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 sorry and, and gold is again gold has another kind of weirdness there where gold is normally thought of in terms of dollars right so everyone thinks if, if you hear about the gold price they'll always tell you the the dollar price of gold and even you know if you ask me what the price of gold is my automatic answer would be to tell you in uh, tell you in dollars but gold is you can buy it in any currency so a piece of research with a, a, a friend of mine up in Durham Michael Lucy and we looked at whether or not there's a psychological barrier in the price of gold that kind of round numbers so mm. like is there is there is there something special about gold going to $2000 or $1900 or anything like that um, and there is so as as the price the price we the paper we call it mind the gap because what we noticed was that those if you look at the, the prices round numbers don't really exist in the data set so the price never really settles on 1900 it tends to get up to towards 1900 and then it either bounces off it so it goes to like 18 you know 99 and then it drops again or else it goes 18 99 and then straight over to you know 1903 or something but it goes right. directly over the barrier like it's like jumping a hurdle um, and I suppose that makes no sense, right? There's, there's nothing magical about $1,900. Uh, $1, yeah. And I suppose what's even, what's even more interesting is those barriers don't exist for gold in other currencies. So gold is traded in dollars, and it's thought about in dollars. But you can, if you're if you're on the London market for gold, you can buy your gold in euros, you can buy your gold in sterling or yen or Swiss franc or whatever you want. People seem to worry about gold hitting, you know, if it gets to, if it goes over 1900 or it goes over 2000, they think maybe it'll keep going higher. You have this kind of feeling that once it gets over that 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 resistance point or that hurdle, it'll keep going. But those barriers don't exist for gold in other currencies. So gold in euros, gold in, 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 gold in sterling. Um, there's no barrier at a thousand pounds, right? Mm. There's no barrier at a thousand euros where there would be a barrier at a thousand dollars for gold. So it's totally, totally psychological, right? It's totally um, constructed by, by by humans, I suppose. And we're and we're we're and, and it's not just the gold market. Where other markets have this kind of finding too that um, yeah. the round numbers people ascribe more importance to round numbers. So what does the round number? Uh cause people to do or have you is there any insight into that so i think it's it's it as so as the price starts rising towards 1900 you know people are trying to assess whether they should 
buy more gold or whether they should liquidate their position is it getting is prices are prices getting too high mm. and i suppose what tends to happen is it gets to 1899 or whatever it gets it gets a, it gets within a within an ace of the barrier and then either people get excited and the price jumps quickly and goes you know way over so it doesn't go 1899 1900 it the, goes 1899 95 because there's a, a rush of money into it where people people yeah. buy or else it gets to 1899 and people panic and go right it's not you know it's not going to go any higher this is um this is as high as it's going and they start to to sell their gold yeah. and drive the price down but they they it creates kind of I suppose it creates stress. That round number creates stress, and there's a yeah. there's a, uh, a really a really good book about uh, about behavioural economics in relation to the to the body, um, the orbiting dog and wolf, where he talks about the, the biological response of the body to things like this. So yeah. I think of it as you know, there's, there's a, you're stress induced around that point, and it causes you to either get overly optimistic and buy more, or else you become pessimistic and you sell your position okay. before it gets to it. That's that is really interesting. <laughs> people, so people pay more attention to to uh, yeah to, to the round number. Um, it's probably why we set our alarm clock for for a round number and things like that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, seven o'clock instead of seven. You know, no logical. Than no, nobody sets their alarm for seven o one or seven o two. Um, yeah. Um, so okay, well maybe just to, just just to wrap things up. Um, how would people view a gold in terms of their investment portfolio at the moment? Maybe especially considering we're you know in in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic and maybe post-COVID for the average punter, how could they view gold? Yeah, so in, like in terms of the, o- the only investment advice I suppose I, I would give out is that gold is a useful diversifier. If you're building your portfolio, buying a certain amount of gold is um, is a good idea. You shouldn't put an enormous amount of your, uh, enormous percentage of your wealth into gold because it's, it's a really volatile asset. It goes through long periods of decline and then long periods of going up again. So it, it, it's not... You shouldn't be putting all your money in it unless you want to speculate. But it's always a good diversifier. Um, in terms of investment, where you're trying to pick, you know, where you're trying to pick a little bit and try and buy stuff that might outperform. Um, to me, gold is in a pretty is in a pretty good place. So again, not not, not investment advice, but yeah. if you look at the if you look at the history of gold. Um, so gold starts floating freely in '68, and it goes through one little bull market where the price goes from $35 up to about, I think it was about 200, and it dropped back down to 100, um, and then it goes through a massive bull market up to about $850 an ounce in the '80s, and then it goes through an awful, um, an awful bear market up to the 2000s. But you get these two run-ups, and the price, so the price essentially went from $35 an ounce to $850 an ounce, which is a, a massive increase in value, right? And mm-hmm. we've kind of had one little, we've had one bull market from the 2000s up to 2000 and, um, 2011, where the price went from from 250 to to 1900. Price went all the way back down to 1100, which is, again, it's sort of kind of, it's paralleling a little bit what happened before. Um, it doesn't mean it'll happen again, but at the moment it's, it's not quite doubled. So based on historical comparisons, you know, it could double from here and it would still be a small bull market compared to what happened in the 1980s. Um, and there's a lot of similarities as well about why the price went up in the 80s. There was there was financial innovation in the 80s um, where in the late 70s, the futures market comes into existence for gold. So um, in, in, in the early 2000s, you had exchange traded funds uh, set up for gold. So they're a way of of buying gold that's really cheap, so you don't have to physically own the gold. You just basically buy a share in an exchange-traded fund, and they vault the gold and things like that. So there were kind of financial innovations that made it cheaper to buy gold in the in the late 70s, and the same since the, the turn of the century. There were also new markets that came on stream in the 70s, so up until 74, 
2004, I think, it was illegal for Americans to own gold. They weren't allowed to own gold as an investment. Right. They'd been banned in the in the 1930s, and they were forced to sell all the gold to the government for $35 an ounce. Um, and again, you get new there's new markets in the so late 90s. India became a bigger market for gold. They opened up the 2000s. China opens up as a as a market for gold. You know, the two biggest uh, countries in the world by population. So there's a lot of similarities in terms of why we've had a bull market. Um, since yeah. the the 2000s and to me you know it, even outside of adversary it seems like it seems like it might have uh higher to go but that doesn't mean it'll be a like a smooth path it, it went to 2000 and it's, it's been down a little bit since then it dropped to in the 1800s and now it's around the 1900s so it's it's <laughs> it's a very difficult asset yeah. to trade um it's very efficient so in terms of like basic finance theory again it's an efficient market. You you can't predict um, the gold price with any degree of accuracy from day to day. Um, but there's, there's lots of positive drivers. Economic growth in countries that like gold is there, um, and then low supply. So, to me, there's there's it's it's it seems like a decent investment. Mm. Um, but the, I think the real argument for gold is to have a small amount in your portfolio for for diversification, because in the long run, diversification is the is one of the better ways to to protect your money and also to, to grow it because you, you never know what the big asset will be. So if you put all your money into gold and it does badly, your, your investment goes, you know, goes very poorly. Whereas if you spread your money out, then you're lucky you buy some Amazon back in the day when it was cheap and now it's expensive or you buy some Apple by accident. And the only reason you're buying it is because, you know, you're diversifying. So diversification makes a lot of sense for, for investors. Sure. Okay. Well, thanks, Fergal. That's sound advice, I think. And uh, it's not advice. It's <laughs> yeah. just it's just just a comment. With the, with the usual the usual provisos you get on those ads yeah, for, for investment companies on yeah, the radio. They, the value may go down as well as up and etc. Exactly. Um. Okay. Well, thank thanks a million, Fergal. Uh, that, that was that was really interesting. Thanks a million. My pleasure. Thanks for the invite, Neil. That was that was really interesting. Lovely chat. So thanks to Fergal and thanks to everyone for listening. If you like what you hear, don't forget to check out the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash at the margin. Thanks and all the best. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.